Brilliant. Thank you for reading that chapter. Do keep it open if you've got your Bibles open as we follow through. And thank you to Tom as well for leading the worship there. Really helpful songs, which as you'll see through the message this morning, actually really feed into some of the themes that we find in the chapter we're looking at. We're continuing this series, working through Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. We've been working through it week by week, and today we are up to, up to chapter 10, which has been read. And it's been really good to read it chapter by chapter. Some bits are more complicated than others, if you're joining in the story. Some bits are more challenging than others. And we've been reminded again why we often work our way through a book in this way, so that we don't just pick out the bits that we, uh, we love to listen to, actually allow God to teach us through the breadth of his word. And here we are at chapter 10. We've been on a journey with Paul as he writes mostly in this letter about uh, the challenges that he is facing in his leadership. And the message today is called Battles and Boasting. There's a saying that says something along the lines of, you can tell the quality of a person by the company they keep and the people they admire. You can't choose your family is the idea, you can't choose your work colleagues particularly or your neighbours, but those people that you choose to look up to, that give your time to, that you choose to admire, that says something about you and that's completely down to you and your own aspirations. I wonder who you would admire most out of these pairings. Who would you most like to have dinner with? Which would it be Djokovic or Lewis Hamilton? Can Djokovic win for a fourth time in a row this afternoon? I won't particularly ask you, but feel free to mutter to your neighbour, obviously it's, who, it's that person. Which, uh, which young activist would you particularly admire? Which Harry would you particularly admire? And which member of the staff team? Don't say anything out loud. It is part of being human that we have people that we look up to and we admire. And that can be a really positive thing, of course, if we're looking up to people who are going to help us become better versions of ourselves, better humans. Now, the Christians in Corinth were in division and confusion precisely because they couldn't make up their minds about who they wanted to admire. On the one hand, there was Paul, there was the, this apostle who'd founded the church and who many had inevitably had a great respect for. He'd led them to faith in Jesus. And on the other hand, there were a group of newcomers in the congregation and they held Paul in contempt, really. They didn't think much of him and his leadership. They said he didn't speak powerfully enough or eloquently enough for them. Up until now, the tone in Paul's letter has been reasonably optimistic, despite knowing that there were those who were opposing him. He's been defending his ministry and the kind of leader that he is. In chapter 7, he's on the up because Titus has brought him a good news report. But in this chapter, if you look at it, there's a more defensive and pessimistic tone to it. The critics are now accusing Paul of being cowardly, they say that he's brave when he's writing his letters, but he's not confident when face-to-face. -face. This is a bit like when someone might say anything in a text message, but they wouldn't dare to say that to your face kind of thing. Look at verse 10. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. The gist of their accusations are that an apostle should be more impressive. Now, I don't know about you, but being called unimpressive 
That's a, that's a horrible insult, isn't it? Ellen, she's, she's, she's an unimpressive person. That's such a disparaging thing to say. And the people against Paul in Corinth seem to be setting themselves up as accomplished speakers. Admire us, they say. Look, Paul, he's, he's just no good at public speaking even. Admire us, we are accomplished. And they're implying that the Corinthians could ignore the strong words that Paul has said to them when he wrote to them because he wouldn't back it up in person when he came. And the way that Paul handles that is what we're going to look at today. Paul, what he doesn't do is try to make himself seem impressive. But instead, he frames his whole reply in this chapter around what genuine godly boldness is. And he uses some examples about that boldness. Now, he starts by pointing them to Jesus and his gentleness, which is a brilliant way to start, verse 1, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, he says, which is so clever, because he's saying to those who oppose him, those, those traits aren't weakness. Look at Jesus. I'm appealing to you by his gentleness. You don't need to keep harping on about my lack of strength. Look at the weakness and humility and meekness of Jesus. And then from the start, he talks about his lack of boldness and unimpressiveness by giving two examples of what genuine godly boldness is. And they're these. He talks about a boldness in our battle for the mind and our boldness in our boasting in the Lord. And we're going to look at both of those. Boldness in our battle for the mind. Paul's opposers see themselves in competition with him, and Paul just doesn't see it that way. He doesn't think this is a human battle, but a spiritual one. And we've been singing about some of those themes. Verse 2 to 6. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. Dig at those who are opposing him. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Paul's not going to fight this battle with physical weapons or with human words and clever ideas, but with spiritual ones. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. There are spiritual strongholds at play over the lives of Christian believers and particularly in the battle of the mind. Paul says he can take captive their thoughts using these spiritual weapons, allowing them to return to Christ. He says the Holy Spirit can be relied on to break down their arguments rather than his words. And there's something about Paul's boldness that doesn't show itself in articulate speech or impressiveness that, is, that comes from knowing that he's in a, a spiritual war and that we can know the Holy Spirit's power at work in our minds. And I was thinking about that concept this week. God can work supernaturally and powerfully in my mind. And I just felt so helped and encouraged by that. And I real sense that it was just really timely perhaps now more than ever for us. I was reading about a fascinating study in the National Library of Medicine about the way that we think and food. I've heard some people say sometimes, you know, maybe a big chocolate cake is brought out or something, and someone might say something like, um, 
I've put on weight just looking at that. You might have heard someone say that. I'm sure I've said it. I've just, I just, all I had to do was smell the food and I put on two pounds or something. Uh, some research has been done indicating that for some people, just thinking about food raises their insulin levels, which in turn makes them hungrier. The report said high acute levels of insulin can be produced simply by seeing and thinking about food, and that individuals showing this response showed a greater tendency towards weight gain in a food-abundant environment. So my encouragement to you this morning, friends, is that even thinking about food, not actually eating it, eating it can cause you to gain weight. What it illustrates, of course, is that thoughts are powerful forces. Thoughts can produce hunger pangs, but we know that thoughts can stimulate a whole lot of other desires too. The thoughts that we have can affect us spiritually. Battles can go on in our minds. I wonder what battles of the mind you might be facing. Maybe you are struggling with irrational, anxious and fearful thoughts that really have taken a hold. Maybe you have unhealthy thoughts about self-esteem and about where your identity is. Maybe your mind speaks lies to you. Maybe you are battling with sexual thoughts and temptations that you know are affecting you negatively, but you can't get in control of. Maybe you are experiencing paranoia about friendships and relationships, and that has a grip. You're so concerned about what people think of you. Maybe you are prone to catastrophizing about things that are unlikely ever to happen. Maybe, maybe, maybe any number of other battles that you might be facing. There will be a weak spot in all of our minds where there is a battle and they're always worse at night, aren't they? I find with my thinking. I'd like to think I was a reasonably rational person in the daytime. But if you wake up in the night with something on your mind, how quickly that can spiral in an unhelpful way. Bible teacher David Needham put it this way, virtually every battle we will ever fight with sin will be won or lost on the turf of our imagination. So if we're thinking about wrong actions in our lives, of course that always starts in our thinking. And Paul encourages us in all of these things to use these spiritual weapons at our disposal. And he talks about what they are elsewhere in his letters, telling believers to put on the armour of God, for example, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. And Colossians 3, he says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Paul says we are to take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. And that simply means gaining godly control over what we're thinking, submitting that to Jesus. Now, if we're struggling with mental ill health, then all of these things that I'm about to say and have said go alongside medication and any medical help needed. I hope that goes without saying that is really important and, in fact, is a gift that God has given us. Is a gift he's given us. What we're doing here is understanding this idea that actually there are spiritual work at play also. We have, we have supernatural weapons too in the armour of God and in prayer that can help. And if there are battles in our minds, what does it look like to take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ? Some of these things might help. First of all, identify what the triggers are. What causes the spiral? Can you identify situations or circumstances that might trigger unhelpful thoughts, the first step is to recognise those. 
and then interrupt the thought process. You kind of see the thought coming and you head it off. I have to do this. I see the thought coming and I have to choose not to let it land. Because if I do, it can so easily take hold and spiral. Speak God's truth to those thoughts. You see a thought coming, an irrational fear or a paranoia or a catastrophe or an anger or a temptation, whatever it might be, and you speak back, I will not let this take hold. I will not let this land. I'm taking that thought captive. I'm trusting God and choosing to find my peace in him. We can meditate on helpful scriptures. If you know what the triggers are that are causing your battles, you can find scriptures that help in those areas and meditate on God's promises and reassurances. And where we need to, we can repent if our thoughts have led to sinful actions and choose God's freedom. Confessing what we need to about our thoughts, he, he will always cleanse and forgive and choosing to trust his freedom. The enemy wants to destroy our peace. He wants to use our minds to lead us into sin. And Paul says here we have weapons available to win the battles in our minds. And actually, the battle for the mind remains central for our task as Christians, whether that's for us and ourselves, as we've talked about, having our minds submitted to the Lordship of Jesus, but also using those spiritual weapons and prayer for others. That's what Paul was doing with the, with the Corinthians who were opposing him. Verse 5, demolishing their arguments and pretensions, he says. The spiritual weapons and prayer are available to us to break down intellectual arguments that can't be won by clever words. Let's pray for boldness to conquer the battle of the mind, whether that's ourselves or for others. And of course, to do that, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit's help. We need to daily receive his presence and his power. This isn't something that wins out through willpower or clever words. It is the Holy Spirit bringing freedom and power and daily help to us. So there's a battle in the mind. And Paul has a godly boldness about that. And in the second bit of our chapter, he moves on to talking about boldness in our boasting, the way that we boast in the Lord. Paul says to the Corinthians in verse 7, if you look, you are judging by appearances. It's helpful to know this has been an age-old problem for us as humans, reminding the Corinthians they're making all kinds of unfair judgments about him based on his appearance. And we do this all the time, don't we? Don't judge a book by its cover and all of that. Appearances can be deceiving according compared with the reality. This is the advert for a quarter pounder and a Big Mac and the reality of it. Appearances can be deceiving. What about this picture? Andy's out, sadly. But look, this is not how you normally see Andy Morgan, is it? <laughs> he wears shorts from May to October. We're really proud of Andy, who graduated from Spurgeon's College this week. And I will tell him that we're proud of him, even though he's not here in the building at the moment. Paul has decided not to participate in a competition for popularity. Appearances are deceiving. What Paul wants to do is to lead people to Jesus. He does not care if people admire him or not. Rather than trading boasts, I'm not going to try and do a kind of my dad's bigger than your dad type thing with the Corinthians. Why would I do that? Instead, I will boast in the Lord, verse 12. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. 
We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you. For we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's God getting the glory and others finding faith that matters to Paul. And he says, I'm going to concentrate on boasting about that. Paul wants to develop the work further. It's spread outside of Corinth to other parts of southern Greece. Verse 15 there, more faith is needed to expand the work and preaching the gospel in the regions beyond. When we, don't ha- when we know that we have God's approval, as Paul did, and when the opinions of others don't matter, and when we've managed to, to take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Jesus, we find a boldness in sharing the gospel and boasting in the Lord. We are, we are part of an upside-down kingdom, and we need to remind ourselves of that regularly. So much of the kingdom of God is upside-down. It's the humble who'll be exalted. It's the last who'll be first, and this isn't any different. It's upside-down boasting, not boasting about ourselves, but about the Lord. In whatever we're doing, doing it for the glory of God, telling people about him. When we go into our frontline places this week, we can have the mindset that we're going to choose not to make ourselves look impressive. What we do with our work or our time is not about us, but about what God is graciously accomplishing, giving him the credit and the glory for anything good. And we need the kind of boldness that Paul has to share our faith, not necessarily being articulate and clever. Praise God that we do not need that. But instead, a dependency on Jesus, an authority that comes from him by his spirit, and a courage and a boldness, not to care what people think, but gently, with the gentleness of Christ, and appropriately share him with others. So where are we as we come to finish? In the face of criticism, Paul talks about boldness in these two areas, our battle for the mind and our boasting in the Lord. And in both of these areas, we rely not on willpower or our own impressiveness, but in God's help through his spirit and his power. If there are battles in your mind that you would love to God to work in, let's use the spiritual weapons that are not of this world to help us. Let's call on the Holy Spirit and ask him to fill us and help us to do that every day. God, would you help me take my thoughts captive and make them obedient to Jesus? And let's pray that God would open other people's minds with those same weapons to break down intellectual arguments and pretensions, as Paul says. And when he is at work, let's boast in the Lord. Let's ask him for boldness in the way that we share our faith. Share the good things that he's done, the stories of what he's done for us. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. I want to give us just a little bit of space to respond and receive. Perhaps the band wants to come back. It's, it's great to say it's not about willpower or human action, but actually if the people of God need the presence of God, we need to ask and receive the presence of God to help us. So why don't we pause and pray for a moment before we sing again.
I don't know what helps you when you are responding to what God is saying and doing. It might be, you know, hands out because you're receiving. If that's helpful, you don't need to do this. But if it's helpful for you, if I find this helpful, it's, Lord, I'm here and I'm ready. Whatever helps you to get into a kind of posture of receiving the help and grace and power of God, do that. And we'll just pause for a moment to give you some space to ask him to give you the spiritual weapons that you need today. to just invite you to come and fill us in this place with your presence and your power. Thank you that you love us and have good things for us. Thank you that you are a good father. Thank you that you want us to overcome and to walk in freedom and in peace. And we pray for one another today, Lord Jesus. We pray for some victories to break out here as we seek to trust you. Would you help us to overcome our battles of the mind? We pray that you'd win the day where we need your power and your authority. We say, come Holy Spirit, we dare to believe that you are the same God that we've sung about, the same God who raised Jesus from the dead, who was the healer, who led the people to victory time and again. This is the same God. And we want to trust in your promises that you are for us and with us. So we say, come Holy Spirit, come and fill your people with your presence and give us what we need. Pray for your courage to boast in you in our frontline places this week. Reassure us, Lord, that you're with us, that we do not need to have all the answers or be clever, but with your power at work, we can be overcomers and we can share boldly for you. Come, Holy Spirit. stand if you can and we will sing a a couple of songs to help us to respond to what God is saying to us today.